You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. On today's episode, I am super excited. Again, another student interview. I'm interviewing Alexis Collier. Alexis is a senior at the University of Texas at Arlington, and her mother was a teacher in Belton ISD. Now, tune in to hear what pillars of success that Alexis would include if she was developing her own school and how trust can be an important part of building relationships. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. We are excited today to have our guest, and before I I have my co-host at times when we do students, uh, Denise Circle Mama Holiday is on the show today with me. So welcome, Denise. Hello, everybody. So excited to be here. Especially talking to you, Alexis. Absolutely. And as Denise pointed out, we have a student today. Alexis is going to be on our show today, and she's going to be talking from the student voice. So that's why we're really excited about today's episode. We love when we get an opportunity to connect with students. But just like every other show, doesn't matter who the guest is, before we get started, we got to try to do that GTKY and connect before content. So, Alexis, we're going to do that in what we call the flip five. So, we'll ask you five GTKY questions. You can ask five back to us, and then we'll jump right into today's content. Denise, go ahead and start it with question number one for Alexis. I am ready. So, Alexis, what is your absolute most favorite time of the day? Oh, favorite time of the day has got to be 3 p.m. because that's when my nap time kicks in. <laughs> Oh my God, she has a nap time. I, I'm 51 and I think I need a nap time, Alexis. So that's awesome. Honestly, it's become part of my, it's become part of the whole routine. I've come to realize that I get too tired around this time of day and okay. it's nap time. Gotcha. Okay. All right. That's a great, wow. You blew me away with that response right there. You're like, bam, let me tell you what it is. Okay. <laughs> Simple question. When you think about like your playlist, what would be something that would be on your music playlist that would probably surprise most people? Ooh, I will have to be honest with you. I'm a pretty um, pretty low-key kind of person, but 21 Savage is on my playlist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Denise. Okay, so the next question is, um, who made you laugh this week? I just met you guys and you've already made me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. All right. Think about this, Alexis. Growing up, what was that one meal that you loved when your mom made? Like, what's that one meal that you're like, oh my God, growing up, this was the meal I always look forward to? Spaghetti. Every meal was good, but spaghetti was always the best. I love it. There you go. Denise, final question. Okay. What TV show are you binge watching? I am re-binge watching American Dad because I love some good humor. Some good everyday humor. There you go. Good. All right, Alexis, that was five for you. You got five questions, however you want to use them. Go ahead. Let's get started. Awesome. So... Denise, can you tell me what is your favorite weekly task? 
Kevin could tell you, my favorite weekly task is virtual circles that I do with educators every week across the nation. Love it. Awesome. So Kevin, this is an easy question and it kind of comes from what I'm around in my room. When you think of cleaning products, what product do you think of? Ooh, cleaning products. Well, it's so funny is, is I think of Mr. Clean because of the bald head, right? Just because. (laughs) (laughs) So it's so funny when you said I'm like Mr. Clean, but if you say a product, it's those darn white sponges that you, that they, those like eraser sponges, they like clean almost anything, things off walls, different things like that. So that would be like my, my go-to, like when I see something, I go, I'm definitely going to a magic eraser sponge or the generic knockoff. Yeah. I'm a Tide Pod kind of person, as you can see. Ah. <laughs> All right. So, Denise, if you could choose any hairstyle that is not the hairstyle you have right now, what would you have? Oh, that's easy. Sister locks. I so want me some sister locks. They're beautiful. They're, you could do so much with them. But they're pricey to get started. But sister locks, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. You don't know what sister locks are, Kevin? Huh? I'll tell you about that later. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kevin, Uh kind of on that question about what time of the day is my favorite. Mm -hmm. This one's about times. And how do you respond to your alarm clock when you hear it go off at the time you're supposed to wake up? Um, I'm not a snoozer. So believe it or not, I rarely snooze. I'm a morning person. So like my clock went off at 6.20 this morning. I was up at 6.20. I, I may lay there for a few minutes, but whatever's weird is, is I typically respond with just like, once my brain activates, I can't go back to sleep. So I usually lay there for a few minutes of like, okay, what does today consist of? You know, what? I, because once my brain gets activated, I, there is no going back to sleep for me. So that's the first thing I do is just activate that brain. And then it kind of forces me to get up and then start my day. Man, I feel that. That's a great question. Last question. And I'll just flip it back to you, Denise. Since I'm on books, what book would you recommend for people to read? Well, let me see. There's a book out there called Classroom Circles. And I'm the co-author of it with John Whalen. <laughs> you girl, you just... You just slid me right on in there. See, that's what I'm talking about, Alexis. You know what's up. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Well, le- absolutely, Alexis, those were amazing questions. So, audience, just like we are doing here on the show, GTKY, we want to connect before we get into the content. So, for us, if you want more resources or if you want to learn how to join our circles, head over to rclfirst.com. Click on the orange links and either get the 28 GTKY questions or get the Zoom link to to join Denise's circles on Monday evenings, Thursday evenings, or Saturday mornings. And you don't even have to know anything about circle. If you just want to connect with other educators, you want to drink a glass of wine and hang out, you want to be in your PJs, whatever you want to do, it just helps you feel valued, seen, and heard and connect with other people on this virtual platform. And we offer that three times a week. So just head over to our website at rclfirst.com, click on the orange link, and you'll get that Zoom link, and you can join us anytime during the next week. So that's part is out of the way. Alexis, here's the fun part. I really rely heavily on Denise because she, out of everyone on our team, and she's my co-founder, out of everyone on our team, like Denise has a knack and a niche for hearing students' voices like nobody else. Like, She'll hear you, but the way she hears you, it usually resonates with her. So when I said, Denise, 
let's find some students to get on the show. I really rely heavily on Denise, and that's why I bring her on the show, because she makes the preliminary connection with most of y'all. So, Denise, I want you to tell, the, tell our audience, why do you believe that Alexis is going to be an amazing, we already know she is, but an amazing guest on the RCL podcast. To introduce us to Alexis and what brought her on the show. Yes. So Alexis is here at the beginning of the pandemic and all of the social unrest that was going on. We reached out to some people to uh, do a call to action to hear the student's voice. And you did a video, Alexis, that I was, look, I got goosebumps just getting ready to talk about it, that I was absolutely blown away by. Like really thinking, how is it that students really have that type of grasp about what's going on, but also you are so vulnerable in what you you shared. And so I was like, all right, when we do a podcast, I'd love to talk more to Alexis about that. I want to know what was that like to to do that video when we did the call to action? What made you say, yes, I will do this call to action? Um, I had actually gotten a message from an old principal of mine, and that's kind of what made me want to do it because she is very outspoken. She tells it like it is. And I had thought if anybody had said if anybody had come to me and said they needed my words of advice or what I'm feeling, this is the person I would love to give my input to because they've been so open with me throughout the years of raising me. And she's been through through school with me since I was in second grade. So this is somebody I understand and I can relate to on these levels. And so I felt like I could be open, especially since it had come from her. And hearing that other educators kind of are in the same position where they want to know how their students are feeling, I felt that this is a great opportunity for me to open up and kind of tell it how it like it is. Tell me who that person was. That was Miss Velo, Miss Sandra Velo. I love her. She's one of my favorite people. She inspires our whole school district. So Shout out okay. to her. So I'm going to ask you, okay, for you, Alexis, what makes Sandra Velo stand out? Because she, we, we know why we love her, but I would want to hear from you. What makes Miss V Low stand out? I'm a little biased because my mom is a teacher. And so when I had met Velo, they were friends. But the thing was, this was somebody who had went above and beyond for any student that had asked for it. And when somebody comes to Miss Velo and says, hey, I'm really in a spot where I need your help or my student's not doing well in school, she goes beyond the measure that anybody else would. It's never the bare minimum with her. It is always I'm here to help and I was my purpose on this earth is to help. Mm. And so that's what makes her special to me. I've dog sat for her. It's been amazing. She's become part of the family. And it's really about kind of what you guys are studying, really relationship-centered learning. Your students are learning better from you because they have a stronger relationship with you. I'm going to assume you agree with our approach that we kind of will put relationships at the center of learning. So when you're you're learning in the classroom, what are some examples of how teachers have specifically with you, Alexis, put relationships at the center of learning and helped you, you know, just – either feel valued, seen, or heard, whether you're a better student or not is, is, is a different outcome. But what are some of the things that your teachers have done to improve relationships with you as a student? 
I think teachers don't have to spend as much time as they do, but when they do go that extra measure and spend more time with the students that are struggling, it makes a bigger difference to those students because they may not always have the resource to go to. They may not always have parents at home who they can count on to help them. And so there would be times I may stay after school or I may have extracurricular activities. And there was always those same teachers that were willing to help their students, willing to stay and get to know what their students are interested in rather than sending them home right after school, hoping they get on a bus and grading the assignments, waiting for the next day. That's what makes teachers really special and especially in the school district I came from. Wow. So I don't even know why, but you just moved me emotionally um, to hear the passion and to hear, like, I hear it in your voice that that is important and that that was exactly what you needed during that time. So thinking about those friends of yours that you have that may not give those teachers the opportunity um, to give that gift that Velo and other teachers gave you, what would you say to them if they're just not, they don't want to give the adult a chance? What would you say? I would say that every adult has come from a, at least a similar place, if not the same, because it, although they're adults and you're a student, it may feel like you're not on the same plane, but there have been times where teachers and I have connected because we relate to the same experience. We may relate to the same mental health struggles. We may relate to the same family struggles. And you have to realize that they're just humans too. So I would reach out and try to get help from them because it's a strong, a strong resource to go to. Teachers are people you can always rely on. And with my mom being a teacher, I really know that teachers are just humans. They're trying every day like the rest of us. So let me ask you a question, a follow-up to that, because what you just described is exactly what needs to happen. The reality, and I'm sure you may get this because your mom is a teacher, right? Is that for some teachers, let's just use the word vulnerable, okay? And I'll replace the word vulnerable with the word ordinary. A gentleman on my first episode said, hey, too many teachers are trying to be extraordinary, but they do the best connecting when they're ordinary, okay? So when you're ordinary, aka vulnerable, some teachers, what you just described, you know, like in their opinion, either one, they don't have time, right? Or they don't see the value in, in the time that it takes, or two, they're not ordinary vulnerable enough to talk about things like mental health or other personal things, you know, because to them, I don't know if it's a trust issue. I really can't speak to them. There's just barriers that sometimes educators put around them that prevent them from making better connections with kids. Do you ever experience them or do you have any, you know, any, any uh, say so on what, when I say that? Does it, does it resonate with you at all? There are some teachers I feel that are too busy trying to keep up, I guess, the power that they have, or at least try to maintain the teacher status that they have so much that they don't realize that they need to kind of let down some of those barriers or let down some of those walls for students to really understand who they are, rather than the facade that they're showing. 
Well, you mentioned, yeah, because you mentioned the word, this was, this was, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Denise, I didn't mean if I got it. It's just that you said a word and it really, teacher power. Do do you believe that some, and again, we don't, I don't want to use names, but do you believe that some teachers think that teacher power, I'm using air quotes for our listeners, teacher power for them is the best way to educate students? Do you ever get the sense that some teachers you know, utilize that strategy more than the more personal one? Yeah, there are some teachers, and I've had this experience more with substitute teachers than anything, but it's about keeping that power and maintaining that I am the teacher, I am in charge of this classroom, rather than this classroom is maybe a democracy where students have some input on what's being said and what's being taught, and that way they're understanding kind of the give and take of what the balance is in a classroom rather than just the, I have teacher power. You kind of see where I'm going. Oh, no. Well, you got to remember, Denise and I were raised in a time where you just described, let's just call it the older model. I use sometimes use the word archaic, but the archaic, (laughs) the archaic model is what we grew up in. And we still have educators that one, either taught in that model or two, grew up in that model and are teaching now. And so it's the only methodology that they're, they're experienced in knowing because to their defense, it was successful for them. And that's why I always tell people like, that's why we love having you on the phone, the, the, the show, the student voice to me is the loudest. Like when we listen to the students, we learn so much And you, the value that you have as a voice is something that Denise is teaching me to really kind of listen to it different. But what's interesting is, is that for some, you know, I always tell people, we wanted a choice and a voice when we were in school. We just, there was not a facility, like that was an option. But now schools have changed, which is why I always tell people, Alexis, that sometimes educators are using a 1999 playbook, you know, when we started the 2019 school year last year, right? And so it's like, if in order to be successful with today's modern day student, not they want a choice and they want a voice and they want to feel like I'll respect you with your AKA teacher power slash, you know, where your position is. But the, every single human being that comes on the show, particularly uh, students, wouldn't you agree, Denise? I always say the same thing. I wish the students or wish the teachers saw us as human beings versus students or a number or something like that. Mm-hmm. Don't you hear that, Denise? Absolutely, I do. And you know what? You said something that really resonated with me. You said in the classroom, the teacher could think about the classroom as a democracy where we all collaborate together to talk about how do we want this class to operate? Or it could be just what the teacher says happen. Now you have friends and students talk. You know what I want to know? I want to know what are students saying? What do they really want their classrooms to look like or feel like? I think students want, I mean, to sum it up, students want more power and more, not even necessarily power, but input. They would like to see their input actually result in something beneficial for them. Because in any relationship, if you have an expectation, and you present it, you would hope that expectation is fulfilled, or at least compromised to some sort of fulfillment. 
And so this is what we can do in the classroom where you can take the input of students, say, if they have a rule against phones, maybe make your classroom utilize phones in a smart way or don't take up all the students' phones. Maybe have them keep them so they feel like they have some sense of autonomy, but telling them to keep it away. Because there, there are ways where you can shift these imbalances in power to make them feel more democratic and more just, I can say. Alexis, honey, what are you doing when the pandemic is over? <laughs> yeah. Really oh my God, so powerful. I never really thought of it like that. Like really speaking to kids, when you look at students as what do we want in our classrooms? Like really, what do we really want? What does that really look like? And so a lot of our tools is around that, especially the treatment agreement, which there's three quadrants and we talk about how the student treats the student, how the teacher treats the student, but also how the students are going to treat each other. The teacher. The teacher. Students are going to treat the teacher. So hearing that, and you know what you just said about wanting to have a say, do you think a treatment agreement or something like that in your classrooms could be powerful or could make a shift? I I think it's really... It could make a shift in the way classrooms are structured if you give more students a say. The high school I came from, Belton New Tech, we had more student input on the rules and we had things called trust cards, where if you were a student who had a good reputation, didn't get in any trouble, you were trusted certain things like you could have lunch in the classroom or you could keep your phone on you. So when you give students that sense of trust, they can actually put it into a beneficial thing for themselves, or they can make it at least represent themselves in a stronger manner to the rest of the school. So when you have things such as a trust card or at least trust in these students, it makes them feel a lot better in themselves and in the school they attend. Well, it's interesting because we we have a saying that every student, every human being, but we say specifically students to help educators wants to feel valued, seen, and heard, right? And mm-hmm. so if you, if you add one more to that, Alexis, valued, seen, and heard, and trusted, when you think about this, you know, I would believe that most schools and most classrooms where the culture and the climate allows most students, I don't think we can ever be 100% in anything, but most students to feel valued, seen, heard, and trusted, then I would have to question, how would that school not be as successful as it could be without those qualities and attributes being prioritized for students? What's your thoughts on that? I think if you're not prioritizing all of these goals at once, you probably won't have as strong of a school as you could because you're still lacking in a certain a certain category. Because if you have trust, but you have no value, you have a false foundation that these students are relying on and they may not trust you in the long run. Or if you have students who, who feel heard, but they don't feel trusted, then they feel as though their ideas are just going to waste. Mm -hmm. So you really have to build amongst all of these pillars to make it as strong as possible. So you kind of already described this, but I'm going to add one more layer to it, Alexis. All right. Your mom's going. 
Well, let's see. But your mom's an educator, right? And you already talked mm-hmm. about this. So, Alexis, if you were just, if somebody said, tell me about a school, if you could invent, if you could make a school look like anything you wanted to look like, Alexis, what, I don't, I'm not specifics, but in other words, what would be some big things, big pillars that you would say my school, Alexis' school that she's designing and creating for helping students feel connected and all the things that you feel they're important. This is your school. You get to design it how you want. What would be some of those big pillars that you would like, I need these pillars and I'm using them as pillars as foundations to hold up Mm -hmm. the foundation of our school. So what would be some big pillars? Just name a couple off as some examples. To incorporate trust, I would have a student council that not only speaks to just the students themselves, but I would have the council speak to teachers to get their input. So teachers could see maybe these students aren't feeling as connected to me. Maybe I can get their input. Um, I would utilize phones rather than abolishing them because I feel that technology is what we're centered around. You can't really help it anymore. But the least you could do is teach students how to use them in the most reliable and professional ways possible. I would most likely have every student download LinkedIn as a grade. (laughs) I would make sure that every teacher, this sounds really lame, but I would have teacher get-togethers or teacher conferences that aren't mandatory just for meetings, but they would be social gatherings so each teacher would get to know each other. Because when teachers build the relationships between each other, they can better make their projects cohesive. I recognized that when I was at my high school, we had a think tank and it's where all of the teachers had their teacher lounge, but it was where students could look in, students could get help, and teachers could also just converse with each other. So it made it really cohesive between both the students' input and the teacher's input. These are just a few things I would incorporate into any school just because it made it made our school so much more stronger in the long run. Hmm. I want to be interviewed. I want to work at that school. You ain't going nowhere. Stop. She ain't going nowhere. She ain't going to work at no school. But just just stop that madness right there. Don't, as you say, Denise, don't act brand new. Uh, you, are, you are not going nowhere. Alexis, so what are you doing right now? Who are you right now? And what are you doing? And what, where are you going? Like, are you in college? Yeah, I'm a college student right now. I am a senior at the University of Texas at Arlington. I'm studying finance and economics, so I'm hoping to be a financial analyst. My mom has been betting on me to become a teacher, so if worse, not worse comes to worse, but like if I don't find joy in being a financial analyst, I will maybe become a teacher because as much as I don't like the culture of the classroom. I would love to change the culture of the classroom mm. and make it more mm-hmm. beneficial for students. It's not something I want to avoid, but rather something I kind of want to attack head on. Mm. Man, I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps, but I want to ask you one more question before we go, because I think that the, the block that is up between teachers and students. We talked about it a lot today. It's like building that trust, but trust isn't easy to come by. And I I think about myself personally, um, I had a hard time trusting people. Like I just refused to trust because I had been hurt so often. Didn't Mm -hmm. I? They could be my same age. They could be older. They could be black. They could be white. 
trust and me just did not get along. But thinking about that in the classroom, how do you create a culture where students feel like they can trust their teacher? Because oftentimes that's the wall, is that either the students don't feel like they can trust their teacher or teacher, of course, I don't trust my students. And I said just the other day, if we could just step back and trust students before we make the assumption that they can't be trusted, then we're going to get golden stuff. So tell me, I want to hear about that. Like for the teacher who doesn't want to trust the students, but also really for those students who are a little worried, I can't trust that teacher because the baggage that I carry is so deep that I don't think they can handle it. I learned one thing studying um, this semester, and it was in business communications. And it was if you share something about your vulnerability or something, I guess, that not everybody would know, it would make people feel closer to you. So I would say as a teacher, you could share something, maybe a hardship you had in school maybe about your struggles in school with the students so they feel more connected with you, like, wow, I'm not alone as a student. And on the flip side, as students, if you do have a teacher you trust or that you go to, maybe see how they react to the news. If a a teacher can make sure to not, I guess, ruin that trust or not take advantage of that student in that moment, and gain that student's trust after they tell you something. This is a bond that can be worked on, I would say, throughout the semester. If that student has hardships, now you know as a teacher, maybe check on them throughout the semester, like, hey, are you all right? Those are things that makes the student feel a lot better and makes them feel like they have someone who genuinely cares. Mm. So um, from both sides, there are things that can be done to gain trust. It's just a working effort that has to be kept throughout the semester. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. If I call it bridging the gap, but have you, have you ever had a friend that you had to help bridge the gap of like trust and connections with somebody else because they had a better relationship with you and you trusted them, but they weren't sure about the other person or vice versa. And so you had to be like, like, so for example, hey, Denise, let me tell you all about Alexis, right? But, you know, I, I would have to tell her and be the bridge, right, between the two of you. And I've done that personally with people, but I've also had teachers. So for example, Alexis, let's say that I'm one of your teachers and you're not getting along with Miss Holiday, right? But Miss Holiday is like, hey, Mr. Curtis, you and Alexis are tight. Like, I always see her being positive with you when she smiles at you. And I see y'all getting along, but she comes into my class and I get the, the, the stink eye and, you know, she ain't even making eye contact, whatever it is. I mean, do you see sometimes that in order to help build or bridge that trust, it just creates, you'll have a, you may have a better opportunity to trust Denise if I vouch for her, right? If I'm the one that says, hey, but I also want Denise to know about you and you to know about her. And so have you ever, you ever like felt like that sometimes a bridge can help build some of those, those fractures in trust? Sounds kind of like picking classes for college and you okay. know how you say you want a certain professor, but say that professor is not available. And my boyfriend who's fine, who graduated finance, he tells me which professors to take okay. and which professors to trust. So he bridges that gap. 
So it sounds kind of relatable in the sense that rather than using rate my professor, I would use my best friend's advice to pick that professor and he would bridge the gap between us and I would soon come to trust my professor and I have this semester. It's been beneficial for me. So his choices were great picks. So I can see exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, because basically you trust him. So he's like, hey, I wouldn't set you up to fail. I want you to be successful. So you kind of go with that. So no, it was just really interesting because for me, when, I'm, when, I, when I host the show, sometimes like, for example, when you and Denise are having a conversation, I try to come in from the side door and think, well, what if I'm a listener and I can't do that or I don't know how to build trust? So my takeaway from the, the testimony that you two were talking about if you're an educator out there and you're like, but I'm not good at building trust, then what you have to do is go find those bridge builders between, right? Go find the <laughs> teacher that the student does have a relationship and say, hey, help me get a relationship, something similar to them. So I need you to vouch for me. And here's what I love. Sometimes those adults may have not been connected. And all of a sudden, Alexis, those adults, as you mentioned, and all of a sudden they're going to one of your required or not required social interactions for the teachers now because they bonded over a kid. And I think mm -hmm. that's the, I think one of the most beautiful like butterfly effects of what we teach and preach about relationships is you don't know the moment or the conversation or what, is going to spark that connection. It could be a, a sports event, it could be a conversation, it could be a cup of coffee, it could be sitting at the table and being forced to. Like there are so many little small intricate pieces that once it sets into motion, then you look at it and you go, oh my God, Denise is not that bad. You know what I mean? Or something like yeah. that. Is that. Have you experienced those Alexis in your life? Yes, I have definitely experienced that. I was like, wow, this professor is actually really cool. He's one of my best professors. And after taking his advice, I was like, I think I want to take this professor for the rest of my courses in college. So I definitely felt that. And um, even with having friends, I felt maybe this friend is a lot closer and maybe I should get to know them through a friend. So those relationships we should try to build off of because that butterfly effect, like you said, isn't, doesn't always have to be negative. It can be a pretty positive thing. Absolutely. Well, as we wind down, I know Denise has got to get off to a training. Denise, last response. I want to give you an opportunity to share your voice. So I want you, Alexis, to continue to be that um, bridge builder uh, to make those connections with so many people. Continue to use your voice elevated. It's the most valuable voice. You are a phenomenal woman and I appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining. You got my number. Hit me up. Yes. If I can do anything for you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye guys. Bye guys. So Alexis, as you and I finish up, I mean, I think what I love about what you're saying, it's so practical and it sounds so easy and yet we screw this up. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it, it's what I forget the phrase. It's either it's simple, but it's not easy or it's easy, but it's not whatever it is. But it's like, sometimes I laugh because when I have a, an educator who's like, I just can't do this. I'm just like, why is this so hard? But what I've learned is every person is allowed to feel the way they feel. 
And so in their world, in their perception is reality, they have a hard time just trusting or being vulnerable or not giving or giving up the teacher power and control, whatever it is. And so I think what really keeps us motivated as to make a change, as you mentioned, just like you want to do, is that we do see change. It literally, in the five years that I've been you know, working in this business specifically and left public education to, to this make, this is my passion now. What, mm. what keeps me going is that I have had those testimonies where a teacher was like, I didn't get it, but now I get it. Or, and I'm starting to understand it. And now I'm feeling a little bit more uncomfortable uncom- and now I know what I need to do. And, and then I, I just feel like you living and growing up with a mom as an educator. I mean, if you have a message before we get off today's show, what would be a message that you would want educators to hear right now to keep them going and to keep them inspiring and to keep them growing during this pandemic? What would be a great message to the educators today from Alexis? A message to educators is just to remember we are all human. No matter how hard it gets or how hard it feels, there are people who count on you because you are their inspiration, you are their teacher, you are somebody who is there, who is not only paid, but professionally picked to inspire. So if there's anybody cut out for the job, it is you beyond belief, beyond your own belief, because you were picked for it, you're paid for it, and there are students who look up to you, so you can do it. As hard as it feels right now in the middle of a pandemic, I know students don't really have the motivation to do a lot. Teachers are really our inspiration. And I would say we as students should look up to them because they have a lot on their plate right now. And we're all human. We'll get through it and it will be better. And there will be a sunshine at the end of this storm cloud. So quick question. Is your mom still teaching? Yes, she is still teaching. Shout out to Ms. Collier. So let me ask you a question. How is Ms. Collier? How is she? How is she doing? How is your mom? She's okay. She's learning how to kind of work with this teaching from home and having to kind of make the curriculum based off of not just students who are in class, but students who are also at home. And she's kind of losing a bit of motivation herself, but she finds it each day when she wakes up by saying like, I do this for the students and I do this to encourage others. So she's my biggest inspiration out of anybody else I've ever met because she definitely goes that extra mile. Yeah. What a, you know, I didn't grow up as an educator home. Uh, My dad was Mm -hmm. in the military. My mom was a food stamp caseworker. So, you know, I got into education because of people like your mom that inspired me and showed me like, Oh, this is something that's magical and you won't make a lot of money at it, but you'll make a difference. Right. And so I applaud your mom. I applaud all the other educators out there that are struggling and finding ways. I'm so proud to be an educator in a time like this, because somehow we are resilient. We just find ways to continue to push through even a pandemic and help students find ways to be successful, no matter what are the circumstances. I'm not saying it's easy, I know it's a struggle, but I am proud of teachers. And I'm proud to get to know you today, Alexis. I think that Denise, again, 
found a golden nugget in really realizing bringing strong students on here that their perspectives add so much value to our listeners. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you for what you do. I will say, and this is up to you, is there anything that you, I want to give you a closing message that you can just tell our audience, but also a shout out to anything if there's a resource or if there's a way to connect with you or anything that you want to do, we'll put it in the show notes also, but here's anything you want to just uh, share as our listeners, as we close out the show, go ahead. I would love to say thank y'all all for listening to me. And if you ever feel like you are not good enough or not doing well enough, just know we're all at different points in our life and different paces and the race is not the same for all of us. So you're most likely doing better than you think you are. And if anybody ever needs me to connect with them or needs another student perspective, I'm always on my Facebook, my Instagram, and my Twitter. Awesome. Well, we'll put links in there. So, hey, Alexis, thank you for your time. Thank you for what you do. Continue to grow and just keep in touch with us. And we'd love to find out what your next part of your chapter of your life is. Whether you actually get an education or not, we're in your corner supporting you. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. Y'all have a great rest of your day. You too. Take care.